This is the day which the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Hallelujah. My brothers and sisters in Christ, one of the dark marks of our day is its doubt. Would you agree? People just are not sure of a lot of things that they ought to be sure about. Questions like these bother people. What am I doing on earth? Is there really a reason for my life? How does it happen that I occupy a place on this planet? Is it by accident or is it by design? And if it's by design, whose design? Is my life a success? Who measures success? Huh? Aren't these important questions? But people are not sure. <clears throat> people are not sure about the answers to these questions. What's going to happen to me on the other side of the cemetery? If there is a God, am I going to meet him? Where do I stand with God? How do I find out where I stand with God? People just are not sure. One of the dark marks of our day is its doubt. Our friend Martin Luther once made the statement, there is no more miserable frame of mind than doubt, just not being sure. Did God intend it? to be that way? Did he want you and me stumbling, wobbling through life like a kid learning to ride a, a two-wheeler for the first time? That's the way God wants our life to be lived? You can't believe that and neither do I. God speaks to us uh, in his word to drive out the doubt and to make us sure of a lot of important things. He's going to do that this morning. The Word of God, through which God is going to speak to us this morning to drive out our doubts, is a word that's found in St. Luke chapter 24. It's on page 1106 of your Bibles if you'd like to follow along. It's the scripture reading that is behind the idea of that beautiful piece of stained glass on the south side of, of this house of God. It recalls a scene that took place the afternoon of the first Easter. Two of Christ's followers were traveling from the city of Jerusalem where some terrible things had happened in the preceding couple days, and they were walking to the little village of Emmaus about seven miles away from Jerusalem. We don't know who the two followers of Christ were. The person who designed that stained glass window was sure that they were two men. We don't know. One of them was named Cleopas. We know he was a man. Was the other person with him Mrs. Cleopas? See, we just don't know. What we do know 
is that God had, Jesus Christ had something important to tell these two followers of his, as he has something important to tell some followers of his who've gathered at St. Marcus this morning. And you know what Jesus is going to do for us this morning? For us who live in a world, one of the dark marks of which is its doubt, its uncertainty, Easter makes us sure. That's what this sermon's going to be all about. Easter makes us sure. Follow along, won't you? Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 13. Now that same day, that was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. That's what's described in the first 12 verses of St. Luke 24. Now that same day, in other words, Easter Sunday afternoon, two of them, two of Christ's followers, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. It's kind of interesting to note that St. Luke uses three different words to describe their conversation. Uh, they are words which emphasize that this was some excited conversation. There was some back and forth. There was some heat. Maybe one of the people, one of the, we call them the Emmaus disciples. Maybe one of those Emmaus disciples said, I think he's dead and gone. And the other one said, well then how do you explain his, the, the grave was empty when the women went there this morning. And the first one said, well then you tell me where his body is. This was excited conversation. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. Normally they would have recognized the Savior, but for his own purposes, he momentarily didn't want them to recognize him. All right? He asked them, what are you discussing together? as you walk along, as if he didn't know what they had been talking about, huh? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem, and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. Do you suppose there was a hint of a smile sneaking at the corner of Jesus' mouth when he said, what things? He wanted them to pour it all out, you see? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. Get this next statement, will you? But we had hoped. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. 
In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, that was a seven-mile conversation that Jesus had with them. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. Isn't that a delightful touch? Jesus didn't want to barge into their home and force himself on their company, so he acted as though he would keep on walking. He wanted to be invited. He won't bulldoze his way into your life, will he? He acted as though he would keep on going. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. If you could see behind the flowers there, at the foot of the, or near the bottom of that window, you would see these words in German, bleibe bei uns. That means stay with us. For it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Normally, whose job was that? To take the loaf, a flat loaf of bread, and break off pieces and distribute it. The head of the household, right? The head of the family. And that was the clue that opened their eyes. The fact that he was acting as the host, the stranger. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared. Now his purpose had been accomplished. He disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us? What, he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. Isn't that a gorgeous, gorgeous narrative that God has given us to think about on this Easter Sunday morning? Easter makes us sure. Just look at those, those two Emmaus people. If you want to see somebody who was miserable, there you've got them. Hmm? Hmm. Their steps were slow. Their hearts just ached as they started out from Jerusalem, that city that they didn't want to go to again for a while. Oh, their feet were like lead because their hearts were so heavy. And as they were plodding along, discussing, one is tempted to say arguing with each other. Facts are terribly stubborn things, aren't they? And they didn't like the looks of the facts. They remembered what had happened Friday, and this morning the grave is empty. 
someone joined them, someone whom they didn't recognize. We, of course, have the advantage because we were told right up front who it was. But please walk in their sandals, will you? <clears throat> they didn't recognize this person. And he began to speak to them. What does that tell you about the Savior? If you had been Jesus, <clears throat> what would have been one of the first things you might have wanted to do the day that you rose from the dead? Might you still have had the picture of two days earlier where your mother stood beneath the cross crying her heart out? <clears throat> if you had been Jesus, would a number one priority of yours have been, I've got to go talk to my mother? <clears throat> Not our Jesus. The most important thing he had to do was to take time out, when he had a ton of other things to do that afternoon, take time out to seek out some people who were having a terribly tough time of it. Easter makes you sure of a number of things. Easter makes you sure, first of all, that there's a person, and you can spell that with a capital P, there's a person who's concerned about you. Jesus knew that the life of those two followers of his was terribly difficult at the moment. And so that busy Easter Sunday afternoon, he sought them out. He found them. He walked. Can you believe this? The Son of God in human form walked for seven miles with them, sat down at their dinner table, put his feet under their table, broke bread with them. Now, he doesn't need food. When you, you see, when you and I are in heaven someday, the bodies we're going to have are going to be bodies like the Son of God that are not going to require food. Why did Jesus eat if he didn't need food? He wanted to reassure those disciples there was nothing that separated them from God. They were at peace with God. God knows today as well. And we, who live in April of 1992, know that life is hard. The Bible never said it wasn't going to be hard. But does that give us the right to say, well, I don't know if my life makes any sense. Easter makes you sure. Easter drives out doubt. Just think of what happened on that first Easter day. The body that those disciples had seen laid in the grave left the grave. They had such bitter memories of that Friday. But in the wee hours of Sunday morning, two days later, that dead body stirred with life, sat up, moved out of the grave wrappings which were left there, just as they were, except that now there was no longer a body in them, and walked out of that grave. What does that tell you about that person 
who's concerned about you. He's just a great Jewish carpenter teacher? No. He's God, brothers and sisters. He's God in human form. Easter makes you sure there's a person concerned about you. <clears throat> what do you suppose it was that bothered these uh, Emmaus people most as they walked with heavy steps to their home? What bothered them the most? Was it the bitter memories of how their friend had been disgraced the previous Friday? He whose lips had spoken such wonderful things to them, he whose hands had done so much mercy to people, had even raised the dead, now they saw that face stained with his own blood, covered with the spit of filthy-mouthed enemies. Is that what bothered them? They had lost a friend, and it hurt. Is that what bothered them? Listen to their words and see if you can guess what bothered them the most. Verse 21, we had hoped. Get the, the tense of the verb that they're using? We had hoped but we don't anymore. We had hoped that he is the one who was going to redeem Israel. Doesn't that show you what the very depths of their sorrow was? We believed that he was the Savior. We were so sure that he is the one who was going to save us from our sin. But we don't believe that anymore. Why not? A dead Savior is no Savior. If he couldn't even save himself, how can he save us? And if we don't have a Savior, then we are not at peace with God. Then God is our judge not our Father. You see reason for being sad? Ooh. There isn't any greater reason for sadness than this. This life is tough enough, but the next one is even worse. When death snatches me out of this life and pushes me into the presence of an angry God. Here Easter makes you sure. Easter makes you sure not only that there's a person who's concerned about you, but Easter makes you sure that there is a pardon which has been earned for you. Why did Jesus go to the cross in the first place and into the grave on that awful Friday that we call good? Why did he? Because he had traded places with us. He who had lived innocent died guilty. On Good Friday, Jesus went to hell. That's why. And he did that as our substitute. On Good Friday, sin is everywhere to be seen. 
Where do you see sin on Easter morning? You don't see it, do you? And you know why? Because your substitute and mine did a number on it. That's why. He suffered God's penalty for sin, took it in his own holy body, intercepted those lightning bolts of God's judgment, absorbed them all, and it crushed the life out of him. I mean God's anger crushed the life out of his own son. God forsook his own son on Friday. But what happened on Sunday? Jesus left the grave. What does that say about the punishment for sin? It's, it's past. There is no more punishment for sin. St. Paul writes in his letter to the Romans, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Easter makes you sure not only that there's a person who's concerned about you, but there's a pardon that's been earned for you. And when Satan wants to make hell hot for you and remind you of your sin, then you tell him, Satan, my substitute suffered that punishment that you're talking about. Does that mean that you and I are no longer sinners? That we no longer feel guilty? Oh, it doesn't mean that at all. Because there's a part of me, there's a part of my personality which is not under the control of the Spirit of God, but of self. And that part of my nature, that evil nature, the Bible sometimes calls the old Adam because that's where we got it from, our first father. That old Adam wants me to listen to Satan, wants me to get cocky, overconfident. I've got nothing to worry about. The more I sin, the more forgiveness I can get. Does the fact that a pardon has been earned for us mean that I'm no longer a sinner? No, I'm going to remain a sinner till the day I die. But Easter does make me sure that I've got a substitute who traded places under God's anger and earned my pardon for me. If today, April 19th, 1992, is your last day on earth, where will you wake up tomorrow? Do you say, oh, I don't know, I, I hope in heaven. You don't know. Why don't you know? Hasn't God told you? Or has he spoken with mush in his mouth so that you can't understand him? Easter makes you sure. Sure that there's a person who's concerned about you that there's a pardon that's been earned for you, that there's a place waiting for you. When Jesus let those two people pour out the sadness that was in their hearts, we trusted 
that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And now what's left to trust? Jesus said ever so gently. Verse 25, how foolish you are. How slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Throughout the centuries of the Old Testament, those many, many years before Jesus came to our planet, the, God had sent spokesmen, prophets, to point out what God was going to do. Then, just before Jesus was born, God sent the greatest of the prophets, and that was his own second cousin, John the Baptist, who pointed to the Lamb of God, who would take away the sin of the world. And the greatest prophet of all, and again, you'll have to spell that with a capital P, was the Savior himself. And Jesus said to those sorrowing people, you are so foolish. Why are you so slow to believe what the prophets have told you? What had he himself told them? I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that you will be where I am. Easter makes us sure that there's a place prepared for us. Jesus didn't stay in the grave, and you're not going to stay in the grave either. We're going to spend some time there, unless Judgment Day comes first, and we go to meet the Lord via the elevated rather than by the subway. But there's a place. Easter makes you sure that there's a place prepared for you. But that could be a long ways away, couldn't it? It could be a long haul between 1992 and when the Lord taps us on the shoulder and says, Come, my daughter. Come, my son. Your place is ready. Do you think we'll make it? What are you going to say? Well, I'll hang in there. I'll try. Don't, don't say that. I beg of you, don't say that. If it's up to you, if it's up to me, we'll never make it to our place at God's side. Satan will see to that. But Easter makes it, Easter makes you sure that it's not up to you. You see, Easter makes you sure uh, that there's a person who's concerned about you, that there's pardon earned for you. Easter makes you sure that there's a place prepared for you, and Easter makes you sure that there's power released for you. Jesus got up out of that grave, didn't he? Death wanted to hold him. Satan wanted to keep him in that grave, but he broke the power of death. He crushed Satan's power. Look at these people, those two disciples. They got up. Uh, verse 32, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us? They're talking different, aren't they? From the way they were talking during that seven-mile hike, huh? 
Oh, weren't our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those with them assembled and saying, it's true, the Lord has risen. You see what that meant for them? It meant another seven-mile walk, didn't it? Only this time, not during daytime. See, if it was dark, remember that's what they said, it's, it's getting dark, stay with us. Now, no doubt it was dark. Did they finish their evening meal? I don't know, probably not. When you're doing a lot of talking, you can't do a lot of eating, can you? Maybe the food was still on the table, but that didn't matter. They had to go. Only this time, instead of lead in their feet, oh, there were wings on their feet. Instead of a lament in their hearts, there was a song in their hearts. Now those seven miles just flew because Easter makes you sure there's a power that's been released into your life. Christ got up out of that grave, remember? He broke Satan's power. Remember that. I know that life is tough, and you know that just as well as I do. But the Lord doesn't ask you to face it alone, does he? He still walks with you every step of the way enabling you to say with the Apostle Paul, sin shall not be your master. St. Paul said, I can do anything through Christ who gives me strength. See, you're not Satan's flunky. When he whistles, you don't have to come running. And he suggests his filthy suggestions. You have to listen. You're not his flunky. You're the Savior's child. Power has been released into your life. Do you remember the name Ethel Waters, that lady with the lovely voice who did such a gorgeous job of singing gospel hymns? She once made the statement, Jesus don't sponsor no flops. And that's true. Christ has not called you to make a failure of your life, to make a botch of your Christian profession. You're a winner, my friends, not a loser. Easter makes you sure that there's a power that's been released for you. Easter makes you sure, doesn't it? And if that's the message you take from this visit with Jesus and the Emmaus disciples this morning, I hope you'll agree that it's been a worthwhile visit. Easter makes you sure that there's a person who's concerned about you, that there's pardon that's been gained and earned for you, that there's a place that's been prepared for you, and that there's a power that's been released for you. Because you see, Jesus don't sponsor no flops. Amen. Now may he who brought back our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. Amen.